This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, as always, for this very special episode, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. A special episode for a spe- is the All-Star Weekend special. I was gonna say for a special weekend. I don't know. I watched the games today. It was fun. Actually, the last game was good. It looked like they started trying in the finals, but in the in the first matches of the I don't even know how to characterize what happened. Anyway, all-star break. We have some time to slow down and do some things we don't normally get to do. And that's why this, Elon, is a special episode. Yeah, well, I mean, even if you don't think the all-star game itself is special, it's a special weekend because there's no fantasy hockey going on. It's been very weird not having games yesterday and today and checking my lineups and setting things. It's been odd, but you're right, Brian. It's given us some time to reflect. And we decided for this episode, we're going to do something we don't normally do. We're going to go across the whole league alphabetically from A to Z, or I guess from A to W, Anaheim to Winnipeg. We're going to be giving at least one fantasy take on every single team in the NHL. It's going to be a wild ride. Before we get to it, though, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's a wild ride every time you go there because there's so much content at Dauber Hockey. You know, daily ramblings every single day, all these articles, line combinations, starting goalies. Literally, I use it multiple times a day when I'm preparing for my matchups and deciding what moves I need to make. It's a great site. you got to check it out, DauberHockey.com. Sometimes if you have a question about a player, like when I'm prepping for this show and I just want to, you know, see what the buzz is around a player at any given time, he just punches name into the player profile or just whatever the search bar on the site. And it'll take you to all the ramblings where he's been mentioned, all the articles he's been mentioned, all the podcasts of this episode where he's been mentioned. But obviously the quicker hits will be in the ramblings. I find it a great way to just gauge where a certain player is at. If I feel like, ah, I haven't checked up on this guy in a while. All that and more over at DauberHockey.com. Fantastic website. Okay, Brian, we've got our chat room here. I've already been called out. I said A to Z instead of A to Z. I wasn't Canadian enough, but I'll I'll try to pick up my Canadian-ness as we move forward. Are you ready, Brian? Ready to strap in and just get going? We have a lot to get through. I'm so ready and very curious to find out what it means to step up your Canadian-ness for the rest of the show. 
Well, Sammy Vatnin, eh? Because we're going to... Oh, that was horrible. But okay, we're going to start in Anaheim, and we're going to start with Sammy Vatnin, who's kind of looking like a snoozer at this point. He's pointless in seven games, down to only 17 points in 47 games on this season. That's only a 30-point pace. That is not fantasy-relevant in most leagues, unless you're in, like, a super deep league. And this is a guy who was for sure drafted in every league. He was probably seen as the best defenseman on Anaheim that you'd want to own in fantasy. Like, last year, he had 38 points in 71 games for a 44-point pace. The previous year, 37 points in 67 games for a similar pace he's this year most often sharing power play time with cam fowler though for a couple of games last week he went down to the second unit while cam fowler was the only defenseman so yeah he hasn't been the main top power play defenseman all the time he was actually a healthy scratch on january 24th because he was a minus four in the previous game what should we expect moving forward for sammy vatanen is he better than a 30 point pace defenseman for this season or is this what people need to expect moving forward and can he be dropped in your league you know if you see a better option in free agency we'll get to some as the episode goes along but like brian here are some people who are within one point of semi vatnin this season these are the types of defensemen who you're getting equal production from ekholm clefbaum suban though suban was injured for a while okay brody riley then we get to like slavin brodine ian cole trevor daly paul martin mark edward vlasic these are the names of people that are within one point of semi vatnin above or below what's going on with this guy the whole Ducks blue line is in a bad way. You said he's on a 30-point pace. No Duck defenseman has exceeded a 20-point pace over the last month. That means each one of them is occurring about one point for every four games played over the last uh, 15 games or so. Vatanen is especially feeling the hurt, just two points in his last 14. We were hoping for a breakout year, at least a continuation of what we've seen from him going into this year. But I think Cam Fowler's strong start might have gotten in the way of that. And now that Cam Fowler is cooled off, he's still maintaining about a 40-point pace. That's nice. But nobody's really stepped up on the blue line. Like, there's been an opportunity to step up and say, hey, here's what I can do because no one else is doing something. Nobody has grabbed those reins just yet, even with the litany of options available on that blue line. Going back to Vatanen specifically, Just six points at even strength this year. 11 of his 17 are coming on the power play, so at least he's getting that time. And he's seen a sizable drop-off in even strength shot rates and expected goals for. I think the recovery seems to have begun for him, although, yes, I agree, it isn't showing up on the score sheet. The good news is that he's back out of the valley that he's spent most of this year in, though, and he's now approaching something resembling his previous low points from the past two seasons in some goals expected and shot generation metrics. So it's a start and you're going to need that recovery to keep up. Like if he just stopped where he is now, we wouldn't see the results we'd hope to from him on the score sheet. Interesting to also note, Elon, someone else who might be on the road to recovery in Anaheim, Hampus Lindholm has seen a recent spike in all of his shot generation and expected goals measures. Again, not showing up on the score sheet. And he doesn't get the same deployment as Vatanen. So before you get excited about Lindholm, you should definitely try and be excited about Vatanen. Admittedly, it's hard right now. Same to be hard to be excited about Cam Fowler. I can't help but think he probably won some favor, though, with his strong start. And that's enough to make me lean towards him getting still the same opportunities that he's had through the year to be able to get on that 40-point pace. So you're saying people should still hold on to Vatanen maybe in a deeper league because you see some glimpses of production coming soon. Yeah. I mean, in the deeper league, there still aren't that many better options out there. You know, you might find a 30, 35 point guy with no upside. Vatanen still keeps getting a couple shots a game. 
And so maybe I'm ready to to roll with him at least a little while longer, although I, I wouldn't begrudge anyone for cutting bait and trying to ride with somebody hot who maybe, I don't know if there are any hot blue line candidates that we'll get to anywhere else in the league. I believe that in Montreal, we're going to stop at a couple. But okay, let's go to Arizona next. Let's talk about the offense, which is kind of heating up lately. And I guess this team, you know, you don't expect them to score a lot of goals. But in the past couple of weeks, Radim Verbata has seven points in his last seven games and 30 shots over those seven games. Martin Hansel came back from missing a couple of games for personal reasons. One goal, three assists, and 12 shots in the three games since he missed those games. So on fire himself. Tobias Reeder on the line with those two has goals in three straight games, three goals, two assists in the three games since Hansel's return, nine shots on goal. So that whole top line has been producing in the past week, at least in a couple of weeks for Verbata. Might be a good time to consider adding a Hansel or Verbata for your playoff run if they are available. Keep in mind, they have a really good playoff schedule in the most common three playoff weeks. They play 12 games. It's like four games every single week for those last three weeks leading to the end of the season, not including the last week. So they would be guys that would give you a lot of games. And if they are available as free agents now, you might want to grab them before it's too late. Keep in mind, Max Domi will return soon to take reader's spot on that top line. Apparently, he's potentially going to be practicing with the team when they return from the all-star break might return in around two weeks so that should be soon and brian another guy on arizona who i have to ask you about did you know that alex burmistrov is putting up a ton of points lately i didn't even know he was on the team but apparently the jets placed him on waivers at the beginning of january and arizona claimed him and he has one goal and five assists in six games with arizona only six shots on goal in that span but still six points in six games from alex burmistrov I'll bet you no one would have called that. I'll bet you no one has him on their roster right now and has been able to benefit from that. But is it time for people to maybe pick him up? He's playing on a line with Christian Fisher and Jamie McGinn, but has also been getting top power play time in the last game, at least with Hansel Verbata, a guy named Brendan Perlini, a lot of kind of guys I didn't even know were on the team on Arizona. Any chances of sustainable for Alex Burmistrov? No. I'm not terribly interested in him. It's funny because we've gone through a lot of the season saying, is there one Coyote worth owning, especially with Domi out? And now you're asking me if Alex Burmistrov, as an Arizona (laughs) Coyote, is worth adding, playing with Christian Fisher and Jamie McGinn. I get that he's getting some power play time too, but uh, no, I'm not terribly interested in him. Going back to Hansel and Verbata, another bonus of having those guys is that they've already been in their bye week. I dropped Verbata going into the Coyotes bye week Sort of hoping I'd get him back. Didn't have that opportunity. I have a cycle spot instead, but hey, he's great at getting shots on net, even if he isn't scoring. And Hensel's good for hits. So both these guys, even when they're not scoring, might be able to help you in one category if your format accounts for them. Uh, But yeah, not so interested in anyone not named Hensel, Verbata, or Domi. In the forward core. Ah, okay. Because I was actually going to mention... Checking out Michael Stone lately, he went so cold. I remember he was healthy, scratched a few games. I thought, okay, forget about this guy already. But he's actually broken out with a bunch of hits and blocks recently. So even when he's not giving you points, apparently now he's throwing out some peripherals for you. So take a look at him for your playoffs if you're in a deep league and those stats are counted. Because like I said, Arizona's playing a ton of games and he's getting a lot of hits and blocks. Yeah, he's actually the second most valuable defenseman in Arizona right now. By the way, I see it. He's splitting most of the power play time lately with Alex Goligoski, but he's doing a little bit more with it and with his peripherals. He had slowed down in blocks. Like we liked him last year as somebody who could pick up for a very low cost who could get shots and blocks, but he is getting those blocks now. Another Coyotes defenseman with some peripherals, Luke Shen, 59 hits over his last 13 games. Do the math. I'm pretty sure you'll end up with just more than four hits per game. Unfortunately, he offers very little else. And while we're on the blue line and before we move on, 
Oliver Ekman-Larsen sort of back on track. Four goals, nine assists. That's 13 points in his last 20 games. So very much back on track in that sense, but not in terms of shots on goal. He is still not getting as many shots as we're used to seeing from him, which means that these four goals in his last 20 games, uh, we can't expect much more than that, if even that. But the good news for his owners who have stuck with him all season long is, again, the bye week is over, good playoff schedule, and hopefully some scoring is still to come. Yeah, you got to hope so. Hey, Ian in the chat here is saying OEL for the Norris, in his opinion. I guess he must have good wins above replacement numbers, if I know Ian. Okay, Brian, we're down two teams, 28 to go. Let's go to Boston. Brad Marchand is on fire. He's got 11 points in his last seven games. He's up to 49 points in 52 on the season, so very close to a point per game. Is he a sell-high guy or someone that you think might be able to keep this up? Like, could we just enjoy the production as a Marchand owner, or should you be skeptical and be like, this guy is not a point-per-game guy, not a 75-point guy? Like, I've been seeing people talk about him as a must-keep in keeper leagues. It's just not a name you'd expect to see there, but he's been doing it all year. He also had a great season last season. I guess he's for real, right? Yeah, he's for real. At the start of the year, we said the thing you need to watch are his shot totals to see if they stay as high as they were the previous season. I'm not going to make a totally analogous comparison here, but it's almost, remember when Joe Pavelski had his big breakout season, he took so many more shots than he ever had. And the next season I was like, ah, you know, we're not used to seeing him take that many shots. He plays with Thornton and I don't know if he's still going to be the for sure shot and point scoring guy. Then he kept it up. Again, I don't know if that's the perfect analogy to be making here, but Brad Marchand has kept up his shot total, still getting close to three shots per game, and his rate stats are telling the same story. He's also already played more minutes on the power play this year than he did last year. This is his fourth consecutive year of seeing rising power play deployment. So yes, Brad Marchand is for real. I would hang on to him, and I don't see him as a sell-high opportunity. He's a keep-high. That's a new phrase. A keep-high. Brad Marchand, a guy who hasn't been so keep-high lately. I don't even know really what that means. Tuka Rask struggling a bit going into the All-Star break. Only an 872 save percentage in his last seven games after pretty much an amazing season. A huge bounce-back season, but he's cold right now. Still got three wins, actually, in those last seven games, even with those horrible numbers. A 4-3 win versus Pittsburgh, a 4-3 win versus Detroit, a 6-3 win versus Philly. But the numbers have been really bad. Hopefully, he'll be able to bounce back after the all-star break. Yeah, we finally moved him out of the top tier in this year's Schmore Goldies board. And then he started the season on fire. And it was like, ah, oh, if I just stuck with him, I would have looked really smart. But his rolling to end game, even strength save percentage over the year shows a consistently downward slope. Part of that is a product of him starting so high. Uh, he started the year at heights he'd not recently seen. Now he's at depths he's not recently seen either. So I don't expect him to be this bad. League average save percentage in 2016-17 is 9.13. He's at 9.18. That seems about right to me. Above average goalie, not so far above average as of late. I wonder how much of an impact fatigue is going to have going down the stretch, though. He's used to being a workhorse, and I think fatigue has been a mild concern before, especially with injury history building up and age as well. But with Claude Julien on the hot seat and no backup option in sight in Boston, could be a little more of an intense workload down the stretch than usual. Yeah, definitely reasons to be concerned, man. Every time Zane McIntyre, or I guess it was Kudobin before, like comes in, like just they totally suck. It needs to be Rask for Boston to have a chance to win. And they got to win because they're fighting for a playoff spot. So we'll see how Rask holds up to all those games. Let's go on to the next B-team, Buffalo. Evander Kane on fire as well, just like Brad Marchand. Just realized I used the same analogy twice. Wait, no, that metaphor. What is it when you say someone's on fire? What literary term are you using? Uh, it's not a... Did you say simile? Metaphor? 
or analogy? <laughs> it's not an analogy. It's not a simile. I don't, I also am not sure that's a metaphor. Well, I know he's not really on fire, but he's been playing very well. He had two goals and one assist on Thursday versus Dallas, which gives him three goals and four assists in his last five games. 24 shots in that span in five games. Is Evander Kane finally the Evander Kane that we've been waiting for all of this time since we started the podcast and said that Evander Kane should be a good keeper for years to come? Or is this run of production going to be fleeting? And is he going to be going back to the Evander Kane that we've seen from the past few years and actually probably just end up getting injured? Yes, this five-game sample is enough for me to be ready to announce that Evander Kane has finally fulfilled his long-sought-after potential in a sustainable way for getting shots on goal and points. Add him, trade anybody for him immediately because of his multi-cat value. I feel like you're making fun of me. (laughs) I don't know. I I guess I got carried away in my sarcasm. Thank you for cutting in, though, because there was no exit from that for me. I was just stuck. Brian Gionta, by the way, also has five points in his last five games, which is just a way of me saying, great for Evander Kane. It's nice this is happening. But if Brian Gionta can do something similar, uh, it's not ready to get too excited about it. This run does look pretty good. Three goals on 24 shots, still high for his career numbers in terms of his shooting percentage, but not in another stratosphere. It's pretty reasonable. Uh, weird line mates, though. I'm not ready to buy in on Evander Kane uh, any more than I am, say, Sam Reinhardt, who has done as well over the last month, although he doesn't have the shots. Everybody wants to know, is Evander King getting the hits and all this? No. Only 10 hits in that span where he's been on this really great productive tear. So uh, even in the short span, he's not fulfilling all that promise, but he's fulfilling some of it. And perhaps he can keep doing so. Gr- lots of shots on goal is what you're looking for from him. And if he ever scores on them or picks up points on them, that's just a bonus. Yeah, and by the way, thanks to Ian and Daniel in the chat room who've told me that it's both a metaphor and an idiom when you say idiom. that Evander Kane is on fire. So good to know. But like you say, the weird line mates, he's been playing with Zemgis Gergensens and Brian Gionta, so it's hard to expect that he's going to be able to get too many points with them. But with all these shots, you'd expect a goal to go in every game or two, right? So if you could pick him up in a week where he plays three times, you should expect at least one goal, I would think, and, and hopefully more. And plus you get those shots. Okay, let's go on to Calgary. Johnny Gaudreau was cold. And people were concerned about him going into our patron cast on Wednesday. But hey, he had a golden assist versus Ottawa on Thursday, which should hopefully help his owners relax over this All-Star break. Apparently, he also did well in the All-Star game. He did. There you go. So he's back. And by the way, the Calgary Flames have had an interesting line shakeup. They finally put Goudreau and Monaghan back together. This time with Michael Froelich as the right winger on that line, which is very interesting because that means they broke up the Backlund, Kachuk, and Froelich line. Backlund, Kachuk were playing with Alex Shiasan in the last game, which is obviously a bit of a downgrade. And then they've had Bennett, Brower, and Versteeg for line three. So we'll see if this sticks and we'll see if Goudreau could sort of bounce back. Like, I think he'll bounce back for sure, but we'll see if this is the line combination that helps trigger that. Might be bad news for Backlund and Kachuk keeping their hot run going when they lose that awesome, well, pretty good third line mate in Froelich and replace him with Chiasan. By the way, Froelich is scoreless in three games, but I think I'd want him the most right now of anyone on Calgary not named Goudreau or Monaghan. That's not a defenseman. Yeah, anyone concerned with Goudreau's cold streak? I mean, the All-Star game is not the sign that he's going to turn it around. It's just his entire career and skill set is the sign he's going to be able to turn it around. Even with this little slump, he has a 95% IPP But there is room to improve in both even strength and power play shooting percentages. So if you think that's unsustainable and going by his career IPP numbers, it's a a little high, uh, then it's okay. Other things are also a little low, so hopefully it all evens out. We will later in the show, Elon, by the way, we're going to get to a forward who's like a career 90% IPP. And for an entire season, 
kept up at 98% and it was perfectly reasonable. I wonder if you can guess who it is or if anyone in the chat can guess who that might be coming up. I'll finish with uh, with Gaudreau, though. It's bad news for Backlund and Kachuk to be playing with Alex Chiazon. Those are Zeds for sleeping. <laughs> and uh, Michael Froelich and Mikhail Backlund are probably about even in terms of fancy relevance now that that line is broken up. I like Froelich a little better because of his line mates. Kachuk is the odd one out, of course. And there are no other relevant Flames forwards. Not Troy Brower, not Christopher Stieg. Just Gaudreau and Monaghan. And then it's like a big drop to the next guys. Yeah, that's fair. But hopefully, like we said, Goudreau will bounce back and be fine for the end of the year. He had like 75, 78 points last year. He should be fine. I don't really think people should be too worried about him, even though he was cold going into this last game. All right, let's go to Carolina now. Cam Ward really stumbled into the All-Star break with an 884 save percentage over the last month. That's 13 games played. And Brian, just in time for your favorite goalie in fantasy, Eddie Lack, to return. He's been removed from the IR. He went to the AHL for a conditioning stint. He played two games for the Charlotte Checkers and had a 952 save percentage. So he did well. He's been called up. Michael Layton's been sent down. And I'd imagine with Ward playing how he's been, Eddie Lack should get a game in, right, next week. So maybe should people keep an eye on him, even though he's been so bad. Like he has an 856 save percentage himself this season, but only in four games. 901 save percentage last year, which was horrible. But hey, 921 save percentage the year before. But that was with Vancouver. So wait, are you giving me reasons to like Eddie Lack right now? Am I hearing correctly? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited about how he played so well with the Charlotte Checkers. (laughs) The Charlotte Checkers. That's a really (laughs) difficult team name. I don't know if they thought that through. Uh, Former ECHL affiliate of the Ottawa Senators, by the way. Anyway, I've been telling you these things about Eddie Lack all season long, and I'd finally given up on him. He's starting from scratch with me. So even though, yeah, he does have these great numbers to quote from, as well as some really poor ones. Uh, For me, I'm starting at zero with him, and we'll see what he can do with his next few starts. Cam Ward certainly does not deserve to continue being the starter now that whatever magical run he had has long since dissipated. So if Eddie Lack gets a start, you should absolutely have your eye on him. Just a reminder to my own infallibility and the impossibility of all this prediction. I drafted Eddie Lack in a couple of leagues at the start of the year, thinking Carolina would be a decent team and that he would take over the number one spot. So a little bias still there. I'd love to see him succeed, but he's going to have to beat a 909 goalie first to get there. Hey, well, you know, it was probably one of your late picks and you dropped it for Antti Niemi. So it worked out just fine for you, right? Okay, let's go down to Chicago. We got a bit of a who's hot, who's not to share with you on this team. First of all, who's hot? Jonathan Taves. He's got two goals and five assists in his last five games. He had a goal and three assists versus Vancouver in a 4-2 win last Sunday and then has been getting points in the other games since then. 28 points in 42 games overall, which is a 55-point pace. Is that right where you see him leveling out? I feel like you've said he's about a 55-point guy moving forward, not the point-per-game guy that, you know, he used to be many years ago. But does this hot streak just kind of level out the bad luck he had before, or do you think this is the sign of things to come? And then on the who's not side, we've got Artemi Panarin, who only has two assists in his last seven games. And all of those games were actually one-shot-on-goal games in that span, except for one game where he had seven shots against Tampa Bay. So a very odd stat line of all ones and then a seven right in between them. But should Artemi Panarin owners be worried or is it just time to hustle and buy low from a worried Panarin owner if you can? Like Even with this cold stretch, he has 44 points in 51 games, which is a 70-point pace, which would be amazing if he could end the year with that. Last year, keep in mind, he had 7 points in 13 games in March and then 13 points in 5 games in April. So he's definitely had a history of going cold for a little bit before breaking out tremendously. Okay, so let's start with Jonathan Taves. My answer is sell high if you can find anyone 
who thinks he's a point-per-game guy finally rounding into form or anywhere close to that. Uh, this is definitely the best stretch of his season so far. He's getting more on-ice shot attempts while he's been on the ice as of late. Uh, I had him at 55 points coming into the year and a hopeful 60. That's what I'm going to stick with. So even though there's been a little surge with what he's been able to do, I still think there are poolies out there who don't listen to this podcast and who weren't listening in the offseason who overvalue him and think that he's a 65, even 70-point guy in the right situation. He's not. So if you can sell him as such, go for it. And Artemi Panarin, I'm not worried about him. Two minutes or less of power play time on ice in four of those one-shot games that you mentioned he had, Elon. And his shot attempts hadn't disappeared in those games either. So he still was taking a reasonable amount of shot attempts. They just weren't quite getting on goal. I think he's great by low opportunity if you can swing it. So you said uh, who's hot, who's not. This is a who can you sell high, who can you buy low. So if you're a Taves owner right now, offer him up to the Panarin owner. See what happens. Maybe you could make magic happen. Okay, let's go to the fourth of five C teams. Let's go now to Colorado. Semyon Varlamov is having groin surgery, or maybe he's already had it, but he's out for the season. So he's gone. He only had an 898 save percentage and six wins in 24 games before going out for the season. So it's not like his owners could be feeling too hurt by this injury news. If anything, it finally gives you the excuse to move on from him. So I guess it's Calvin Pickard time, which like it's you, I want to be excited for him. But at the same time, he only has a 906 save percentage on the year, which isn't great. 910 save percentage over the last month. And he's actually riding three good games of 972, 944, and 927 for what it's worth. So he's been good lately in the very short term. But still, Colorado has lost seven games in a row. And you've told me, Brian, you have no interest in Calvin Pickard. Is that more because you're afraid of him blowing up your stats or just because you don't think he's going to win many games? Well, I'll answer by talking about Samin Varlamov for a moment. How good was he anyway? Or what good was he anyway if you had him on your team? He won one out of four starts. So that's a rare win, maybe once a week or one every two weeks. And when you played him in pursuit of getting that rare win, he blew up your numbers more often than not. A quality start percentage this year, 48%. 44% last year, even though his career average with the abs is actually 54%. But I think that quality start over his time with the abs, that number 54 masks that he's only been above 50% quality starts in three of his six years with the abs. So in his good years, he's been really good. In his bad years, he hasn't been quite as bad, but generally unreliable in nets. So if I'm here ripping Semyon Varlamov, and I think that Varlamov can only win six of 24, I really, I can't hope for much more from Calvin Pickard. He's been below average over the last month, and then he needed three huge games to get to something somewhat respectable. I think Pickard is good for seeing rubber and getting starts unreliable for anything else. Yeah, I mean, he'll definitely see lots of rubber. Like you said, he's had over 33 saves in each of his last four games, so definitely he'll get you saves if those are counted. So if you just need a goalie that's going to play a lot and get you a lot of saves... Maybe pick up Pickard, though Jade points out in the chat room, it could also be Spencer Martin time. He's, I guess, going to be the backup now. He's played two games so far, 857 save percentage. He got burned by San Jose in the second game. He actually played both games against San Jose, which are tough games. So I'd be curious to see how Spencer Martin can do against maybe a slightly easier competition, though he still does play for Colorado. Okay, last C team, let's go to Columbus. How good is all-star Cam Atkinson? This is like my Brad Marchand question here. He's got 24 points and 22 assists for 46 points in 48 games this season. Also, Pretty much a point-per-game guy. Three goals in the three games going into the All-Star break. So he's hot, hot, hot. 
I suggested to at Ellison Snig on Twitter to swap Atkinson for Pasternak. And then after that, I started wondering, was that a mistake? I, I hope I didn't hurt this guy's chances. Like Pasternak, I think is really good. Cam Atkinson, I think is good. But is he this good, Brian? Is he a point per game guy now? Or do you think he's about to regress? I know you've been talking all year about how Columbus, their players were riding way too high and we should expect it to go down. Does Atkinson fit that bill as well? It's not that the players were riding way too high. It's that that power play was riding way too high. So Cam Atkinson is a very good hockey player. And kudos to him for being a near point-per-game guy this far into the season without any crazy aberrational even-strength numbers. But he is going to see regression commensurate with that of the Columbus Blue Jackets power play. 19 of his 46 points so far this year have come on the power play. If you cut those in half, which is somewhat arbitrary, but that's what I'm going to do here, then he's about a 60-point player, which is still great, considering where you likely drafted him or even grabbed him out of free agency. That's about where I'd value him for the rest of the year. David Pasternak, he slumped for a while. I think he has five points now in his last three games. One of them was a goal. It could be about even. I'd be curious to get the patrons' take on this, to be honest. I think Pasternak might have a little more goal-scoring potential, might be able to put a few more shots on net. But overall, I might expect them to have similar point totals through the rest of the year. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, hopefully at least they'll be even. So at Ellison Snig on Twitter won't be too mad at me. On the other side, Brandon Sad scored a goal on Thursday versus Nashville to break a seven-game pointless drought. So he's been pretty cold, except for this one goal he just scored. What do we expect from him moving forward? At one point, he was close to a point per game. Now he's down to a 60-point pace. Do we expect him to keep falling, or do you think he could at least hold this 60-point pace for the rest of the year? I think he's probably a 55, 60-point guy. He's already paid a chunk of his regression dues. But also there's an issue with some declining shot totals we're seeing. He had about three per game last year, and he began this year that way. Then he went down to two shots a game. Then he went back up to three, now back down to two. So these are like 15-game samples in which this is happening. It's a bit of a roller coaster. So I imagine his shot totals will recover again, and it's just a temporary thing. He has one or zero shots on goal in seven of his last 11 games, and he's only gotten more than two shots on goal twice in his last 11 games. So I expect him to be okay in the long run, like 55, 60 points again. But in the meantime, it's probably hurting you quite a bit to be holding him while he's slumping. He's not even getting shots on goal. I would say if you're in a deepish league, just hang on. Everything's probably going to be okay. If you are in a league where he's a cyclable player, you can probably do that until he starts getting those shots again. Man, Brian, I felt so smart when I picked him up in the league where we were against each other. He was dropped and I thought, oh, this guy's such a dummy. I just got... Brandon Saad for free. I bid 11 of my fab dollars. And now he's hurting me. I, I could I missed out on like a Anders Lee in free agency because I was holding on to Brandon Saad. So hopefully you're right and he'll bounce back eventually. But yeah, even a 55, 60 point guy would be better than what he's been doing lately. Before we move on to D and the rest of the alphabet, let's take a second to thank our sponsor for this week's episode, SeatGeek. SeatGeek is like the best way to find hockey tickets this season online. You're either going to go to the site where they sell the tickets directly, or you got to go to SeatGeek because there's nothing like being behind the glass with the biggest matchups of the year. With SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get guaranteed seats for the games you want to go to and get great value. Like, imagine if you were trying to do what we're doing with this episode, but in real life, like go to see every single team play a game in a single season. That would be hard. It's good to have a site like SeatGeek where you can see all the prices ranked by value to make sure you don't get ripped off. It's going to cost a lot, right? But it won't cost as much with SeatGeek. So definitely they're the place to go to for great value and also to make sure that you find out when the price drops. Lots of cool features like that. And plus, you could even get an additional discount for being a listener of Keeping Carlson. Why don't you tell our listeners about that, Brian? Gladly. If you take my fantasy hockey advice, then you can take this advice too. $20 rebate off of your first 
Ticket purchase with SeatGeek, all you need to do is download the app or go to the website, enter the promo code KEEPING before you check out, and then you will get a $20 US dollar check in the mail once you make your first purchase with SeatGeek. Great way to buy tickets. I've done it, Elon. You've done it. Everybody should do it, at least once in their life. Yeah, because you can let them know that Keeping Carlson sent you. So for tickets on fleek, go buy them at SeatGeek. Brian, let's get on to the Ds. Let's go to Dallas. Kari Lettinen seems to be pulling away with his goalie race. Antti Niemi has been pulled in each of his last three starts. He has a 694 save percentage over the last two weeks in those three games. No, I didn't misspeak. A 694 save percentage. He was pulled in one game. He let in three goals on three shots. He never, he didn't even make a save in that game. It was ridiculous. And meanwhile, Kari Lettinen has a very respectable 922 save percentage in the seven games he's played over the last couple of weeks. He's played in every game because Niemi keeps getting pulled. If you have the tandem at this point, I assume you could drop Niemi. And if Kari Lettinen's available in free agency, is it time to consider adding him? You can probably drop Niemi. Can I drop Niemi? I'm still trying to convince myself, but you can probably drop Niemi. For me, there always seems to be just that little reason to hope. My current reason to hope is that Lindy Ruff said Niemi and Lettinen were both sick and dehydrated respectively going into last game, but he thought Niemi could hold up okay, better than Kari Lettinen could. And uh, we know what happened. Niemi couldn't, and Lettinen could. I have relinquished my pro-Niemi stance, though, and I'm ready to accept Kari Lettinen as the should-be number one goalie in Dallas. I think Niemi only really needs to be held in super deep leagues where spot starts aren't available via free agency, or if you're like me and are just terribly anxious about the whole thing and can't yet cut ties with him, because maybe he'll have a good game or at least pick up a win at a critical moment for you. Yeah, well, I don't want to blow up your spot, obviously, Brian, but there are some goalies in your free agency that I feel like are probably better options than Niemi at this point. But do what you got to do. You're obviously in the playoffs, so you know what you're doing so far. Let's go to the other D team, Detroit. Anthony Mantha is now scoreless in six games. His minutes have been tumbling hard with a 16-25 time on ice, 13-34, 9 minutes and 50 seconds one game for Anthony Mantha. Like, his last four games, he hasn't been seeing a lot of ice. Like I said, he's scoreless in six. Keep in mind, he was seeing like 17-plus minutes for most of that hot run. And keep in mind also, he had this amazing run. He was getting points pretty much every game for a couple of weeks. He only has 10 shots on goal also in these last six games. And five of them were in one game versus Buffalo. So aside from that, only five in the other five games. He's been moved off the Zetterberg line, actually. In the last game, the Red Wings went with Zetterberg, Tatar, and Nyquist. And then Vanek, Nielsen, and Mantha. So not a horrible line. Like, Vanek is their top scorer, and Nielsen is a decent guy. Though it looks like Mantha also spent some time in the bottom six with Sheehan and Athanasiu in the last game. So things aren't looking good for... A very exciting free agent a few weeks ago in Anthony Mantha. Is it snoozer time for him? Do you move on to the next shiny object in free agency? Or is there still a reason to hold on? It's interesting because with the shuffled lines, you mentioned four other line mates that he's had. The only one I would not like to see him play with is Riley Shan. Everyone else seems like that could work, that could fit. But as long as his deployment is down, you don't need to hang on to him. He is good. We believed in him when he was getting the minutes and he was putting up the points and the shots. When his minutes return, I expect the scoring will too. I'm not sure why the downswing in minutes and what makes several other Red Wings more worthy of ice time than him, despite all that he's been able to do. And I guess what we learned from this is that we still need to expect some yo-yoing in his deployment as he still seems to be in the young talent paying due stage in Detroit. Yeah, well, he's only 22 years old, which especially for a Red Wing is very young because we know they sometimes take some time to bring their people up. 
So if you're in like a dynasty league or something like that, maybe now's a good time to get him for cheap while he's on this cold streak. But in general, like you say, Brian, I feel like especially while his ice time is down, you don't need to hold on if there's other interesting guys. We dropped him for Victor Arvidsson a couple of weeks ago in our joint league, and that's worked out pretty well so far. But who knows by the end of the year if we'll end up switching back. We'll have the option. No one's added him. Okay, let's go to Edmonton. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl have eight and nine points in their last seven games, respectively. Pat Maroon, only two points in that span, even though he's been playing with them. So kind of a bummer for the Pat Maroon owners who picked him up because he was with McDavid and before when he was with McDavid he was doing so well this time not as well but keep in mind as long as you have the McDavid line mate he could break out at any time and have like a three-point game so I'm not sure if you need to drop Pat Maroon yet especially because Edmonton plays four times next week and it's only a six-day week for games because there's no games on Monday so that's an especially good deployment for him so maybe hold on a little longer or do you say Brian maybe it's time to just drop him because he's cold I wonder if you could drop Pat Maroon for someone like Eberly or Ryan Nugent Hopkins who are finally doing something like Everly and Ryan Nugent Hopkins each have six points in their last seven games they've been playing with Benoit Pouliot who's kind of pulling the Pat Maroon and he only has two points in that span but four of those six points were in one game for Eberly versus Calgary Ryan Nugent Hopkins has been spreading his points around a bit but nice to see a decent second line on Edmonton not so nice for the Pat Maroon owners who are seeing a drought even though McDavid and Drysaddle are doing so well yeah it's a shame Patrick Maroon has not been able to get in on more uh, with his line mates I imagine part of the reason for that is not just at even strength but he's still not getting top power play duties Mark Letestu is hanging on to his top unit spot though not sure what he's really done to earn it. They just like the way he plays away from the puck on the power play. I suppose two power play points in his last 15 games. He does have four even strength points in his last six, though, so that's something. Uh, Back to Patty Maroon, though, still at least two hits per game, sometimes more. Good for a couple shots most of the time, too. So if your league counts those things, you can hang on. Like, you can afford it. He'll still collect you some value. And let's see what lines the Oilers come out with after the break. And then over to Nugent Hopkins, who's quietly posting the best shot rate numbers of his career. He's averaging three shots per game. Usually he's been around two. And uh, yeah, his rate stats are up in terms of shot attempts and shots on net. Unfortunately for him, this coincides with his shooting percentages falling. I would love for him and Jordan Eberle to find their games together and get on track together. I bet the Oilers would too. That's a situation to watch if they do stay on the same line coming out of the All-Star break. Yeah, maybe all Eberly needed was us to call him out on the podcast to bounce back. But like I said, he got four of these points that he's been getting recently in one game. So I'm not ready to take Eberly out of my doghouse just yet. But let's see if he could have a good four-game week next week, and then maybe we'll bring them up again next weekend. Okay, let's go to Florida now. Alex Barkov practiced on Thursday, and the most recent Roto-World update says he could be back in two weeks. What? What happened to him being out for the season? That was the news that came just before. So I don't know who these doctors are in Florida giving this fake news, but hopefully Barkov will be back. That would be great for Florida and great for his fantasy owners, of course. Who will be hurt the most by his return? Like, I guess the obvious answer is Jared McCann, who has been playing with Yager and Marcia so recently. So I assume Barkov will take that spot. I don't even have to assume. He'll for sure take that spot on the top line. Nice to see, by the way, the Riley Smith Vincent Trocek and UC Jokinen line back together. Trocek is so hot right now with 12 points in his last nine games. I guess I'd ask if it's so high time for him, especially with Barkov potentially coming back soon. And I mentioned that Marcheseau is like only a half point per game guy or has only been that for the last little while on the last episode. So of course he went on a four game point streak to go into the all-star break and he's seeing top power play time. So maybe I was too quick to dismiss Jonathan Marcheseau in the last episode. I don't think you were too quick to dismiss Jonathan Marcheseau because he had been on a half point per game pace for the better part of the last two 
dare I even say three months? I've just lost track of time. Uh, he's on a nice run now, which is great. And we'll see if he can keep taking a bigger role. Steve Laidlaw over at Dauber Hockey, who does a lot of the ramblings and writes a bunch of articles. He said that Marcia Trocek and Luongo were the only Panthers worth hanging on to through their bye week or through like a, a light week of games heading in and out of the all-star break. So Yager, a conspicuous omission there. So he's got Trojek, Marcia Luongo as the only relevant Panthers. I wrote him just to make sure he remembered Yager. And he's like, yeah, I remembered Yager. So uh, we'll see what Marcia can do. I'm still a little bearish on him. Or is it bullish? Ugh, why do I even use these words? I can never remember which one's which. Bearish, right? Yeah, bullish means you like him and bearish yeah, okay. means you don't. Okay, bearish on whether he can really be closer to the guy he was for the first month of the season than to being a half-point-per-game guy. Uh, the other Panthers you mentioned, well, you mentioned Barkov. I don't know when he's going to be back, so we'll just deal with it when he is. Vincent Trocek, he does lose some value if Barkov is back. I still think you can treat him as a 55-point guy with upside for a shot at 60 if everything goes right if he is the number one center for a longer period of time. If not, maybe you can downgrade to like 50, 55 points. A couple Panthers who we mentioned on the patron cast, Elon, who had huge finishes to last year and have been quiet so far this year, UC Okanen and Riley Smith. They were near point per game guys down the stretch last year. Can they do it again? I don't know. We'll be watching now. Yeah, tune in next week to find out if the point per game Riley Smith and UC Okanen have arrived. Okay, let's now go to Los Angeles. Tyler Toffoli is hopeful to be returning soon, and he will likely bump Kyle Clifford from the line with Jeff Carter and Tanner Pearson. Currently, Toffoli's only on a 51-point pace after he had 58 points last season. Do you expect him when he returns to be closer to the 50-point guy or the 60-point guy? I'm going to go right in the middle. I'm going to say 55 points. I've thoroughly documented over the last couple of years the difficulties that Los Angeles players not named Kopitar and Carter have in reaching 60 points. And not much has changed since we last really talked about Toffoli. He's a talented guy, 30 goals last year, but they were a function of some fairly friendly percentages. So yeah, straight down the middle, 55 points for me. By the way, back to what you said about Trocek, I feel like does it really matter if Barkov comes back or not? He's either going to play with like Yager and Marcheseau or with Smith and Jokinen. I feel like either line could end up being the better one. So I don't know. I think Trocek could be good either way, but I agree with you that 60-point pace. Just wanted to point out, I don't see a huge difference between the top and second line. Well, I expect the number one center to be relied on for offense a little more heavily than the number two guy, which is essentially what accounts for the difference. But I, I hear you. The quality of line mates is not drastically different, especially with Huberdo not coming back. Yeah, and I guess it's the power play, of course. Anyways, okay, on to Minnesota. Stanley Cup favorite Minnesota Wild at this point? Like, is that too crazy to say? It seems like they can't lose lately. They have amazing goaltending. They're getting points from literally everyone on the team, it seems, at least everyone in the top nine. Zach Parise was bumped to line three with Pominville and Howla recently, and he's helping Pominville and Howell get a bunch of points. Like Pominville has three goals and seven assists in the last 10 games. 10 points in 10 games for Jason Pominville. I thought he was done in fantasy. Like someone we didn't have to talk about anymore. All of a sudden he's doing well. Zach Parisi actually only three assists in that span. So maybe it's not fair for me to say that it's Parisi who's helping these guys get points. Maybe they're dragging Parisi along for the three assists he's getting. Like even Howla is doing better than Parisi. He has six points in his last 10 games. Should Pominville now be at the top of people's watch lists? If Granlund and Koivu and Zucker and Eric Stahl and Niederreiter and Coyle are all taken. Should he be the next Minnesota Wild player that everyone should be clamoring after? And of course, I got to ask, do you still believe in a Zach Parise bounce back or has this demotion to the third line signaled that maybe it's time to finally let go? Okay, so first you bring back Eddie Lack 
as somebody who you think can go on a good run now or has an opportunity. Now you're bringing up Jason Pominville. It's like Christmas in late <laughs> January, just a month after the real Christmas. Christmas in the calm residence. All of his favorite fantasy players are potentially relevant again. Well, my once favorite and all the guys that I still have some measure of belief in, but Pominville is another guy like Lack, who with me is starting at zero, essentially after not coming through a few times for me. It's interesting that you mentioned all those wild forwards. How many of them can be worth owning? And maybe an answer to that can be found in the fact they're third in the league in goals four per 60 minutes. So goals per game, essentially, that's a fancy way to do it. But they are middle of the pack and expected goals per game. So like you could add Pominville, but I wonder if some of the names you mentioned are going to be more cycle worthy over the next 30 games than their current owners expect them to be. And I'll put Pominville in that group too. Minnesota is second in the league in shooting percentage, just behind Washington. That's not to say they don't deserve a lot of these goals, but going by expected goals, uh, they probably should not be ranking quite as high as they are, and their shooting percentage being so high can attest to that. So Pominville, yeah, if you want to add like a seventh Minnesota forward or an eighth, would he be the eighth fancy relevant Minnesota forward? Uh, You can, but I don't know uh, when the clock strikes midnight on all the good that's happening right now with the Wild. Zach Parisi... The one guy who the clock, I don't know, what's the opposite of striking midnight? It stopped. The the battery's dead in his watch and it can't tick. That's the same as striking midnight. Striking midnight is bad. Zach Parise's clock has struck midnight recently because he's had a bad yeah, but, season. Yeah, but it never even started. I feel you know, like... We should probably just start talking normally and stop trying to make all <laughs> these references that we have no idea what we're saying. Have with the bulls and the bears and the clocks and all it's, of this. It's time for Parisi to get in the pumpkin cart, <laughs> driven by horses, because he's just not going anywhere this year. But he should have gone a little further than he has so far. We do expect that he's going to get worse with age. And his counting numbers sure have this year. But his shot rate stats have held remarkably steady from the last year or two, his deployment is not as good playing with Pominville and Haula, which of course doesn't help. And he's also on pace for the least power play time on ice of his career. He's without a goal in 10 games. There's a lot of bad happening, but I still think the tide should turn for him. Less power play time and lesser role at even strength with a deeper and more evenly distributed top nine than Minnesota has ever had before. That puts him in some kind of trouble. But I think that trouble should still leave him in like the 50 to 55 point range instead of the 55 to 60 point range that I'd have hoped for going into this season. And then finally, the last point on Minnesota, Elon, and then you can respond or move on. Uh, Cup favorite. It's a funny thing. You know, like at first when you wrote that in the show notes, I was like, ah, maybe. And then I thought about it. And yeah, like they're beyond contenders. They're close to favorites. Their top nine is solid. Even with a half-present Parisi, they have a solid top four on the back end, a world-beating goalie. How many teams do you think are more likely to win the Cup right now, especially with a weaker-than-usual West? I'm going to say that I have the Wild as the team with the best chances as coming out of that Western Conference. And Vegas has them with the third-best odds of winning the Cup as of today at 8-1 to odds equal to Columbus's odds and Pittsburgh's odds. It's a funny group of teams that you wouldn't expect to be lumped together. Washington and Chicago are leading the pack in Stanley Cup odds, in case anyone wanted that picture. Fully drawn, and I made a mistake by going back to this crazy way of talking. In metaphors or idioms, I need to at least be able to label the manners of speaking that I'm using. That's good for you, Brian. Yeah, by the way, don't take this bet on Chicago. 
I mean, if they, no. I, take, I take the Minnesota bet over the Chicago bet, especially if you're going to get better odds. By the way, with Zach Parise, I feel like you've changed. You said just now, like, he's more of a 50 to 55 point guy as opposed to the 55 to 60 you were hoping for. I'm pretty sure you were saying going into the season more like 60 to 65. So you've, you've lowered your numbers right now. I don't you're cooking the books. know that's true. Is it? I'll take, you know what? I could have, I probably could have said, Maybe I didn't include the 55 to 60 part. Maybe I just wanted like 60 and maybe a couple more if you're lucky. Okay, I'll go with that. Because like the past few years, he has been a 60-ish point player. Last year, he was close, but not quite there, which is why I don't know I would have said any higher than 60. Well, go back to the archives, everyone, and show Brian uh, that he loves Zach Parisi. Maybe a bit too much. And by the way, though, obviously you don't anymore. If you're saying he's like a 50 to 55 point guy, that's droppable in some shallower leagues. So obviously a big for Parisi. But you are saying that his shot rates are okay and you expect him to be able to do something. Obviously it'll help if he can get back on that top line because I don't think that Palmonville and Howla are going to keep this up. Okay, let's go now to Montreal. Brian, we're halfway through. We've done 15 of the 30 teams. It's not even 9 o'clock. You were worried we'd go for like two and a half hours. We've gone through half the teams. We've talked about Dauber. We've talked about SeatGeek. We're rolling. Second half. Here we go. Okay. Let's go to Montreal. A guy who I know you made fun of me for mispronouncing his name before, but I've been practicing. Nathan Bolia is producing again. And he's back on the top power play with Weber, Radula, Pacioretty, and Galchenyuk. Though actually Galchenyuk has been injured in the last couple of games. So Lekkinen came in. Hopefully Galchenyuk won't be out long again. I think he won't be. Anyways, back to Bolia. Three power places in his last four games. So obviously the power play time does him well. I'd say keep an eye on him while he's there. It's a very good looking power play in terms of the players on it. And I'd want the extra defenseman that's there playing alongside Shea Weber. And another defenseman in Montreal I wanted to mention, Jeff Petrie quietly has 24 points in 49 games for a 40 point pace. I'm sure most people didn't expect Jeff Petrie to be putting up these kinds of numbers. I'm sure he wasn't drafted in most leagues, but I'll bet you he's owned in a lot of leagues now because Along with these points, he's averaging around two hits and two blocks a game. So just like a solid fantasy pickup if you made it earlier in the year, especially in a bangers in mash league. Do you think that Petrie can keep this up moving forward? Can he be a 40-point defenseman moving forward? And who would you rather have, Petrie or Bolia right now if they're both available? Bolia's had a funny season where he's had different kinds of relevance, especially over the last month. Like he was good with points for a little bit. He's good with hits for a little bit. Good for blocks for a little bit. And now he's a power play point guy, which is great. Uh, He seems to find different ways to be fantasy relevant. It's nice to have a few different tricks up your sleeve. Uh, But overall, I would prefer Petrie. He's such a nice, steady depth guy. Couple hits, couple blocks, gets the job done, can help turn very tight categories in your favor. So for that reason, I would take Petrie a little more consistently helpful to Bolu. Seems to go through a few more outages where he's just like off the grid in terms of relevance for your fantasy team. That sounds fair, but maybe for the short term, if this is just a cycle spot, maybe grab Bolio, especially if your league doesn't count hits and blocks. If it's just points only, you're going to see a lot more points from someone playing on the power play. Though Petrie's just been so reliable, but good for him. It'll be interesting next year to see where he gets drafted in leagues. I think he won't be going undrafted in as many leagues as he was this year, though there's a whole second half of the season that we have to watch and see. Let's go to Nashville. The line of Forsberg, Johansson, and Arvidsson is hot again. Seven, six, and five points in the last seven games, respectively. I might actually have that order messed up. It's Johansson who has seven points in his last seven games and the other two with six and five i'd say definitely grab arvidson if he's still a free agent while he's on that line like he was probably dropped when he went on that cold streak but he's back on this top line with two great players in philip forsberg and ryan johansson he's also been on the top power play with those guys and james neal who actually has four points in his last five games after slumping a bit himself still i'd say i'm concerned about james neal playing on a line with colin wilson and callie yarncock 
His loss, though, is Arvidsson's gain playing on the top line. Not saying I'd rather... Actually, that'd be interesting to ask you, Brian, who you'd rather have between Arvidsson and James Neal right now. Obviously, Neal has the history, but Arvidsson's having a great year, and he's on this really good line. Yeah, great year for Arvidsson. He's only had really short spells where he hasn't produced while playing on this top line, and most of the year he's just been dandy. We've talked about him a lot on the show, someone we like. James Neal, on the other hand, there's no real signs that... The 29-year-old's game is due for a real pickup. I agree that his deployment could be an obstacle that makes it more difficult to be a 60-point player, like the way that he's playing on the second line. Uh, He's someone who's relied upon being fed to a certain extent and is a great shooter and great finisher, but juicy setups just aren't there this year with Colin Wilson and Callie Yarncroc. His numbers are substantially better this year when he's with Ryan Johansson. I think he needs that other person or those two other people to really contribute to creating scoring chances that he is very good at finishing on. But if they're not around, he's kind of in trouble. So between the two, I'd actually prefer whoever's on the top line. I guess Neil has a bit more upside if he does get to the top line. And even on the second line, he's okay. But again, not going to be that 60-point player without some more help from some more helpful line mates. So, okay, yeah, maybe you could say Neil has a higher floor because even on the second line, he'll still do well. While we don't know if Arvidsson were to get bumped, maybe he wouldn't be able to keep up this pace. But I'd say if Arvidsson's on the top line right now, he's the guy I'd want at least for next week until something changes. Okay, on to New Jersey. We were just talking about players doing well. Let's go to a player who we expected to do really well that's kind of slumping right now, or at least... As far as his standards go, Taylor Hall only has eight points in his last 13 games, which brings him to 31 points in 40 games on the season. So obviously he was looking really good before these last 13 games. But at this point, he's down to a 63-point pace, which is obviously good, very fantasy relevant, but maybe not the Taylor Hall we were expecting. He's supposed to be like a 70-point guy. Brian, I know you love Hall so much. Anytime anyone asks Hall versus someone, it's very rare that you don't say Taylor Hall. But I wonder, like, will he be capable of doing any better than being like a 60 to 65 point guy while he's on New Jersey? Like, he just doesn't have the players to play with that he used to in Edmonton. Maybe he's just a 65 point guy now. Like, he was last seen playing with Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac, which are like decent players, but not the types of players you generally see playing with a 70 point guy. You know how much I love Taylor Hall. So hearing you say he's just a 60, 65 point guy hurts. But I want to tell you that he's just carrying on in New Jersey the way he had in Edmonton. And by the way, remember back with Johnny Gaudreau when we were talking about his IPP and there was a player coming who I tease had a consistently insanely high IPP. That player is Taylor Hall. We know it's a rarity for a forward to ever get in on more than 70 or 80% best case scenario of their team's goals scored while they're on the ice. Hall is currently in the mid 80s for the fourth time in five years, or I should say at least the mid 80s, because that includes a two-year period over which he had a 95% IPP. He had an entire year when he played the whole season, 1,200 minutes with Edmonton with a 98% IPP. He has long been the guy to make things happen was that guy in Edmonton, continues to be that for the Devils. He really only fell off a point-per-game pace recently, like over the last 10 games or so. He's still a big shooter. I think the issue is there's no Jordan Eberle in New Jersey to help finish things off, so getting his own goals is even more important than it was before to Taylor Hall. Also, getting his own goals has proven to be more difficult than years past. I don't think by any fault of his own. He has a 3% even strength shooting percentage so far this year. That's not helping his cause and his reason to think that he can score more than he has. I still like him as a 70-plus point guy. But yeah, there's less of a safety net for him in New Jersey because if he can't score, there's no Jordan Everly or anyone else that can step up 
and at least collect him assists in the meantime on a consistent basis. Yeah, I mean, we knew going into the year that it wasn't going to be like amazing for Taylor Hall to go to New Jersey. Hopefully he'll be able to just carry these guys and get his points. But I don't know, we're getting questions now on Facebook or on Twitter, you know, asking about what's his keeper value. Should people be trading for him now for him to take a keeper spot? It's just hard for me to see him as someone who's going to get the 70 points. I think he should be good for around 65, but it's going to be tough. We'll see. Okay, on to the Islanders. This line of Tavares, Lee, and Bailey still red hot. As is Nick Letty on defense. Letty actually has three goals and eight assists in his last 10 games now. And Brian, this is like deja vu. Do you remember last year? Letty did nothing for the first half of the season. And it seemed like he was dropped in most leagues. And then he just like was so hot for a long stretch starting around January or February. And it's happening again here. So definitely if you've added Letty, I'd hold on. Like he was hot all of February last year. So obviously that's just a small sample size. I don't know how predictive just looking at last year is. But we've seen this before. Looks like we're seeing it again. But anyways, we've already talked about Tavares and Lee and Bailey and Letty in previous episodes. Let's talk about Andrew Ladd, who scored two goals on Thursday versus Montreal in his second game back from injury. And his first game under new coach Doug Waite. Was that a random anomaly? Or is he someone worth watching now? Like he was on a line with Alan Quine and Jason Chimera for most of the game and only on the second power play. So it's not as if Andrew Ladd's deployment has improved. But I mean, he's a guy who came into the team expected to get a lot of points. We expected him to play with John Tavares. Hopefully they won't bump Bailey and Lee if you're an owner of one of those guys, since those guys are obviously benefiting. But can we still see some offense from Andrew Ladd moving forward? Or is this just like two goals in one game could happen to anybody? Don't expect it to happen again. I'm looking forward to finding out what the answer is to that question. Andrew Ladd is still not who he used to be. So if you're counting on him to return to his greatest days in Winnipeg, uh, you can't get there. It's not going to happen. But I'm curious to see what he can do. The question behind the question is, is he going to do any better than Alan Quine and Jason Shamara as line mates? Because I think he's going to need better than that to put up points at a fantasy relevant pace. I think he's going to need someone to help him get those points. And I don't know that those are the guys who can do it. Meanwhile, Elon, that top line you mentioned with Anders Lee and, and Josh Bailey, I feel like this year was the first time when Jack Capuano really held with a constant and reliable top line combination. So Lee and Bailey are locked in as worth owning or at least considering strongly in many formats as a result. Lee, a little more so than Bailey. Yeah, especially if your league counts hits. I know Lee gives you a bit more there. And also he's taking a lot of shots. But Bailey, not too bad. Having a great year. Obviously, when you play with John Tavares, who's finally breaking out. Good news overall for at least that top line on the Islanders. And we talked about recently also how their goaltending has been fantastic. Thomas Grice has been great. So we'll see how they do moving forward. They're really good so far under Doug Waite, but still only just a few games. All right, let's go to the Rangers. I wonder if people at home are trying to guess who the next team will be. Maybe people who haven't memorized all the teams alphabetically. Brian, did you know that I can, off the top of my head, name every team alphabetically in the league maybe i'll do that at the end of the show for people if they're interested in that let me know in the chat room if that would be good content but okay on to the rangers pavel buchnevich pointless in three games now only four shots on goal in that span only saw 13 minutes and 14 and a half minutes of time on ice in the last couple of games so maybe you know this amazing hot streak is starting to cool off maybe he's not like the point per game guy that we were seeing for the start of the year and then when he came back from his injury like he's still playing with national zibanejad but i wonder if it's maybe time to drop him or worth considering it like we talked about anthony mantha before someone who was doing so well but has now gone cold i'd be curious to know who you'd want between buchnevich and mantha right now if you have one and maybe the other has been dropped and by the way brian boy am i glad that i prioritized jacob truva over pavel buchnevich on the day that i bid on both of them i was in the cupful they were both free agents and i had to pick one to bid on and i bid on both of them but i put truba first and man i'd be pretty annoyed if i had put buchnevich first because i don't think he's gotten a point since i did that 
Jacob Truba, your new favorite hockey player between Buchnevich and Manta. I think I'll take Manta. I expect more ups and downs from Buchnevich's line, and the highs will be great, and the lows will be really boring. Whereas Manta, I expect him to work his way back up into getting regular top six minutes and getting shots and points. If I had to decide right now to choose one, I'd probably take Buchnevich just for a little more upside because he still is getting more minutes and better deployment than Mantha. But as Mantha's deployment goes up, I think I'd rather have him. Also, while we're on the Rangers, Elon Henrik Lundqvist. He's had as many great games this year as he has awful games. And I just want to point out while we're in New York, I think his owners should want the cuff. I think they need to add anti-ranta because of the King's inconsistency in age and how that's going to factor into his workload and numbers down the stretch. I think it would be a really safe play if you're worried about getting the right amount of goaltending starts or having decent numbers as a Lungfist owner. I think it's a smart play to get Ranta. Yeah, well, Ranta has been injured, actually, for the past couple of weeks. I wonder if he's still IR eligible. Maybe you could pick him up now, stash him, and then maybe you don't even have to use up a roster spot to have the cuff, at least for the short term. Something to consider. I'm not even sure I'd have to check if he's still IR eligible. I heard that he was coming back. Okay, on to Ottawa. The general manager, Pierre Dorian, has been busy, or at least he was last week. He signed Zach Smith to a four-year contract extension, $3.25 million per year on average. So, you know, there's a nugget for you people in cap leagues, which I know we don't talk about very much, but seems like a lot of money. Though, I mean, he's having a decent season. He has 24 points in 45 games, which is a 43-point pace, which, as I say it, I realize it's not so fantastic, not really fantasy relevant, but he's hot lately. He's got three goals and two assists in his last three games, I guess, since signing that contract extension Usually you hear the opposite, right? People sign that big contract and then they slow down. Zach Smith wants to prove that he's earning that $3.25 million a year. And hey, I mean, it helps that he was playing with Mark Stone and Derek Broussard for some of last game. And he was on the second power play with Bobby Ryan and Mike Hoffman. So playing with decent line mates, he also gives you an okay number of hits, like one or two in most games. Do you see Zach Smith as basically a 40 to 45 point guy moving forward? Or is that maybe even a little bit too high for him? I think that's reasonable. He is the guy who occasionally gets turns in the top six if somebody's injured or the lines need to be shaken up. So he's good that way. And he occasionally is in a center role. So like he can get you face off wins in certain line configurations. So that helps there. And then also Ottawa made a trade. They traded Buddy Robinson, Zach Stortini, and a seventh round pick for Tommy Wingles, former at least patron group, keeping Carlson favorite, Tommy Wingles. I don't know why everyone talked about it at one point. At one point, like anytime anyone would ask a question of, should I drop this guy for this guy? Someone would say, pick up Tommy Wingles. I guess it was a joke. Now I can't even remember why that was funny. But hey, Tommy Wingles played on a line with Curtis Lazar and Chris Kelly in the last game, but he scored a goal. He only took one shot, but it went in the net. So 100% shooting percentage on the send so far for Tommy Wingles in his first game. He only played seven minutes and 55 seconds though. So I wouldn't expect too much from Wingles moving forward. But I had to mention him as a former, at least, Keeping Carlson favorite. Maybe he'll be a future Keeping Carlson favorite. Every time he scores a goal, I'm going to bring it up on the podcast. How about that? I would love that. And I'm sure our patrons would as well. And hopefully the rest of our listeners as well. Uh, and I'll throw Craig Anderson, just a quick trip to the Ottawa crease. Expect him to get the lion's share of starts down the stretch when he comes back. If you've been relying on Mike Condon, it's time to start planning for your future without him. Okay, and speaking of goalies, let's go to Philadelphia. And let's mention that Steve Mason has had two good games in a row, which is newsworthy at this point because that is rare. But he had a 36-save 3-2 win versus the Islanders last week and then followed that up with a 34-save shutout of the New York Rangers. A shutout for Steve Mason. 
I wonder how many people have dropped him and then were wringing their hands and pulling out their hair. Like, oh, just when I dropped him, now he gets a shutout. But hey, Brian, you've said that Mason still has upside. And, you know, I guess we're seeing he could be good, but we're also seeing he could be really, really bad. So I'm curious to get your thoughts down moving forward. It's only been two games. Also, Neuverth actually had a good game on Thursday in Philly's 2-1 win versus Toronto. Philly winning games. So weird after this cold, cold stretch. Basically, it looks like there's potential, at least, for value in the Philly net. At this point, are you like back on the Mason train or are you going to need to see a bit more before you start recommending for people to grab him? I don't think I have anything new to say about that. Same as it ever was for Steve Mason. If he's getting starts, the potential is there for him to do great things. I think he should be getting starts. Neuverth also doing okay. So uh, yeah, I don't know. It seems to depend on the weather, how he plays sometimes. But if he can get into a groove, that could be a great thing. If he's a free agent in your league, I know I added him and one of mine where he was a free agent just for that upside. He could be someone you look back in two months from now and be like, I can't believe I got him for nothing. Yeah, it's possible. Like, it's only a couple months ago that he was on that 10-game winning streak. But then it also felt like forever ago when he was letting in like three, four goals a game. Also, by the way, on Philly, we got to mention Ivan Provorov. He's been so good lately, especially for shots. He had six shots versus Toronto, then zero the game before versus the Rangers, but then seven before that versus the Islanders and four versus New Jersey. So aside from that one game, he's been like shooting up a storm. And before these last four games, who's usually a one or two shot guy, is there something different happening now? Like, can we expect this to somewhat keep up because if you could get a defenseman in free agency and obviously he won't be in free agency in like a dynasty league but in a one-year league he might be there but a defenseman who takes that many shots is very rare like he's not Brent Burns he's even Provorov but if he could keep up these shots I think he becomes like a must own in most one-year leagues if your league counts shots as high shooting DR hard to find and he's producing at about a half point per game pace for the last few weeks which is nice as well so he's been pretty good for people who took a shot on him a few weeks ago yeah someone who's not generally a top pairing or top power play defenseman he's doing very well for himself in shots on goal he's 16 games this season where he's had three or more shots on goal which is amazing for a defenseman just some comparables Zach Wierenski has done it 19 times Ghost has done it 19 times, but they have the luxury of power play time on ice and some extra minutes as well. Three of Provorov's best seven shot-taking performances have come in the last week as well, or the last week of NHL games, not the last week chronologically because he hasn't been playing a whole lot. Uh, So not so different from the whole season. Like He's been putting up shots fairly well through the year, but still a little different in that these are even higher shot volume outings that we're seeing from him the most recently. He's still way down at 65th in the league in shot rate stats, though, in shots per 60 minutes. But that doesn't really mean much in fantasy. Like if he's getting the minutes and he's getting you shots, then it's not a big deal if he's making the most efficient use of his minutes. It is a good gauge to see what might happen if he did get even more minutes, but he is already getting plenty. As an aside, Elon, I'll mention some new names in the top 10 this year in shots per 60 minutes. One of them we already mentioned, Jeff Petrie, also in there, Oscar Clefbaum and Michael Matheson. And I'm speaking about only defensemen, of course. Well, look at that. I actually dropped Clefbaum in our league against each other recently, and I, I'm kind of regretting it. That was a dumb move. He was cold for a bit, and I didn't see him getting on the top power play. But you're like, he's getting these shots, and so, ah, oh well, whatever. By the way, Jade in the chat room here just wrote, oh, my roommate slash fiercest fantasy competitor came home. I had to mute you guys and casually act like I'm not doing anything. Must keep my secret secret. That's why it's hard for us to get new listeners because no one wants to share our podcast with their competitors. So that's fair. We respect that. And Jade is a patron. So, hey, if you're not going to share the podcast, you got to at least become a patron. It's, the, it's only fair, right? Keepingcarlson.com slash patron for more information there. Also, for people playing at home, can you guess? What's the next team we're going to say? We just did Philly. We're on P. 
That's right. We're going to Pittsburgh. Evgeny Malkin missed Thursday's game with a lower body injury. Uh-oh. Time to be concerned. Malkin gets injured every year. Hopefully it's not serious. Some people were saying it maybe was just a plot for him to skip the All-Star game without getting suspended. So hopefully that's it. And he'll be back on Tuesday. I'd be curious to check and see if the Malkin owner is spooked and buy low. I don't know if you can do that, but if you could, like he's just had such an amazing year, 54 points in 47 games, well above a point per game pace. And he's Evgeny Malkin, but scary, right? Like almost Chris Letang. No, I won't say Chris Letang scary because he's like injured so, so much. But Malkin does get injured most seasons. But yeah, speaking of Letang, he's coming back soon. Apparently he was skating with the team. I thought he was even going to maybe play last Thursday, but he didn't, but he might be back even right after the break. Brian, I'm curious, like, what are the odds that he'll play the rest of the season? I feel like at this point, I'll say, like, 40%. If he comes back, maybe a 40% chance that he plays the rest of the year, which isn't that good. Like, I'm just not confident that Chris Letang can stay healthy. He's been injured three times so far. Very scary as a Letang owner. I feel like I'm not just going to trade him. Actually, our trade deadline has passed for the couple, so I wouldn't have the option anyways. I just have to cross my fingers and hope for the best. Yeah, I think that's all you can do. I'll blue sky and say uh, 30% chance that he plays every single game, almost every game. I'm going to upgrade him to like 50%. But of course, we know nothing. Same thing with Malkin. Uh, if you can convince somebody else in your league and be like, oh, Malkin's injured. How about I take that risk off of you? I think that might be a good move to make right now. I feel like this was just an all-star game avoiding move. Of course, we'll find out the truth in about 48 hours time but I would still acquire him. Although it is a little concerning that he had to take some time off. Yeah. What do you think about this conspiracy theory? Did the Penguins just say he was injured so that he wouldn't have to play in the All-Star game? Probably. Makes sense, actually. Why can't the players just not play if they don't want to? I'm sure there's other people who want to play in the All-Star game in their stead. So why do you got to play these games? Anyway, whatever. Oh, it's such an important weekend. We need we need all the All-Star. Like, you know, John Scott was there last year. It was a lot of fun. It's for the fans. The fans want to see the best players in the game. And if a third of those players want to take the weekend off because it's a really nice four-day break in the middle of the season, then uh, it's not so exciting. The fans feel jilted. They take it personally. I don't know. If I'm a fan, which I am, by the way, uh, I want to watch players who want to be playing, I think, more than just the best player. Like, give me the people who are really excited to be there, who are having a lot of fun, rather than someone who is just there because they have to be and they don't want to get suspended. Come Anyway, whatever. Silly. Silliness. All right. Now that this is all over, the All-Star break, we can, like, focus on the important things, which is our fantasy hockey teams. Okay, let's go to San Jose. You know you're in the back half of NHL teams once you get to S. S is, like, late in the alphabet, right? But there's actually still quite a few teams left. But we're going to San Jose. Let's talk about Tomas Hurdle, who's back. Outjury time. He missed 31 games with a knee injury, but he came back and he went right to the top line with Thornton and Pavelski, which is the best you could have hoped for for him. He played 17 minutes and 22 seconds, but that's kind of like the best thing you could say about his return. No points, no shots, four hits somehow, which is very rare. Like he normally doesn't get hits, but I guess, you know, he had to make up for not giving you any shots or points. But I'd be curious to know, Brian, like would you drop a Mantha or a Buchnevich at this point who are both slumping for a Tomas Hurdle just because of his potential on that line? Like he had 46 six points last season which is good not amazing I feel like I remember him being more of a valuable fantasy asset but I'd be curious is there any reason to expect a pace of more or less this season playing on the top line you could probably hope for 50 points out of him but I wouldn't get your hopes up for much more I know there's a lot of hope with his return that he's going to fix a lot of problems on that top line well not a lot of problems just the one with Joe Thornton's production and that would really just help Joe Thornton rather than Tomas Hurdle so I'll take Hurdle over Buchnevich and Mantha, even though I feel like Mantha can be like a 50-plus point player given the right deployment and the right amount of ice time. But I already feel like Mantha and Buchnevich 
will be intermittently available through the rest of the year. So why not try out Hurdle and see what's happening while they're doing nothing? There's no precedent from Hurdle yet to expect anything more than 50 points, but at least we can count on a couple shots per game. And like you said, these hits, eh, they'll probably be fleeting. Yeah, for sure. Don't expect, don't pick up Thomas Hurdle for the hits, but hope that he can get points along with Thornton and Pavelski. Though Thornton, by the way, a lot of people are concerned about him. He actually only has three goals and 28 assists for 31 points in 50 games so far this season. That's a 51-point pace. Compare that to 82 points last year. He's 30 points below his pace from last year. It's crazy. What is happening which is the real Joe Thornton at this point? Like, what do we expect for the second half of the season? The 50-point Joe Thornton, the 82-point Joe Thornton, or what I know you're probably going to say, right right in the middle? I'm not going to go right in the middle. I'm going to go on the higher end of that. He's just three goals this year. I mean, it's been a long time since he's been a goal scorer, but we should still be able to expect a good, I don't know, 13 goals or so. He had 19 last year, 11 the year before. Uh, Thornton has a really low IPP this year, lower shot rates. There's nothing overly harsh happening elsewhere in his numbers. I'm hopeful that he can't suddenly drop. Like, this is what I'm hanging my hat on, is that he was recently a point-per-game guy. Maybe some things went right for him last season. But before that, he was still like a 70-plus point guy. And I think there should be another step between that and being a 50-point guy, regardless of how old he is. So that's why I'm still hoping that he can give us 60-plus points. That's a conservative estimate or i'd like to think so be really great if he could get back on like a 65 uh 70 sounds too high for what we've been seeing from him so far this year but i'm still hopeful he's capable of that and that hurdle coming back will work towards it yeah well i mean sure hurdle coming back could be good but he is losing his red hot line mate if he's gonna be playing with hurdle he loses playing with patrick marlowe who's completely on fire though it's not like thornton has been playing with marlowe that much but we need to point out He had four goals and six shots versus Colorado on Monday, then a goal and four shots versus Winnipeg on Tuesday, and then an assist and four shots on Thursday versus Edmonton. So that makes five goals and an assist in three games last week. Of course, my opponent had him in the cuckoo. What? Like after Monday, I was losing in goals by so much. So frustrated for Patrick Marlowe of all people. At least if it could be like, I don't know, Tarasenko or Pavelski scoring these goals. Anyway, before this run, Marlowe only had 12 goals and 8 assists in 47 games on the year, which is less than a half point per game. Now he's up to 17 goals and 9 assists in 50 games, which is like a bit more respectable, but still not too great. He's probably been dropped in a lot of leagues earlier, but then obviously added after this breakout. But if he hasn't been added, Brian, is it time for people to rush to grab the now red-hot Patrick Marlowe? No, more like Patrick Merlowe, not the wine. But like the meh, you could sell high if you can. I'm not that confident that he's going to continue. We're expecting a drop off from him this year, which is what we've seen. He's been lucky to get that top unit power play time when he gets it. And yeah, he cashed in real big lately with his big rooster game. But aside from that, I don't see a lot of really exciting things happening from him for the rest of the year. I mean, I could see him being like a 50-point guy. That's what I expected going into the year. Like, he's on the second line playing with Couture, at least in the last game. He's on the top power play still. I definitely don't think he's going to be scoring four goals a game. But I think he could at least be somewhat fantasy relevant moving forward. I think if he's a free agent in your league, I'd, I'd add him for now if he could stay in that top six. Like There was times when he was on the third line. And at that point, yeah, maybe you drop him. Especially there was a point when he was dropped off the top power play. But if he's on the top power play, on the second line with Couture, eh, give him a shot. I don't know. He's Patrick Marlowe. And, you know, he could get you 50 points and a decent number of shots, I think. Anyway, okay. 
Let's go to St. Louis. The Copley experiment is over. He got sent back down to the minors. So we're back to Hutton and Allen. Hutton amazingly shut out the Penguins on Tuesday, making 34 saves. I'm sure like no one started him. Who would have started Carter Hutton versus Pittsburgh on Tuesday? But if you did, you got to shut out. Fantastic. Of course, then he let in five goals on 30 shots versus Minnesota before getting pulled on Thursday. So he couldn't keep it up. Jake Allen came in in relief on Thursday against Minnesota and stopped all three shots. 100% save percentage for Jake Allen. So maybe that's a sign of things to come. Like, obviously, that's not very impressive. But hopefully, something can work out in St. Louis. Like, all their goalies have been so, so bad. Allen hasn't won a game or had a save percentage over 900 since a game on January 2nd versus Chicago. So we're approaching a month of him not having a decent game or a win. I guess St. Louis goes back to Allen now since they pulled Hutton in the last game. What do you expect in the second half for him and for these guys? And like, I guess maybe to reference someone we talked about earlier, who would you want moving forward between Jake Allen and Steve Mason? Well, to be fair, I don't know if it's totally honest to say it'll be a month since his last plus 900 game because he's taken the last week off before the All-Star break and now it's another break before his next start so we'll see when he comes back I'm hoping he'll be able to be okay I'm hoping he'll be able to be league average if I'm choosing between him and Mason it's a tough one I think I'd go Jake Allen for starts and Steve Mason for upside like if you really want to swing for the fences and go for wins and a great save percentage go with Steve Mason if you're just happy with like a middling save percentage and some wins then Jake Allen and of course some guaranteed starts because I don't think Phoenix Copley or Carter Hutton are real serious competition for him possible competition. I read an article proposing Marc-Andre Fleury for Kevin Shattenkirk. Like, I don't know if this is an actual rumor or this was just someone's creation. I think it was just someone's creation, but Darren Drager of TSN was asked about it. Someone, I don't know. Anyway, they're both free agents at the end of the season. And with Latang being out, maybe Shattenkirk makes sense for the Penguins as an insurance option, even though they have Justin Schultz and Marc-Andre Fleury could be good for the Blues, except From what I understand about how the Blues treat Jake Allen, they want him to be their guy. That's why they gave him a week off to reset and get better. And they haven't acquired any outside help and they traded away Brian Elliott. So I don't know that they would go ahead and bring in another goalie that would make that situation more complicated. And I'll also stick with the theory that I had going into the season, which is that maybe the Penguins like their odds of winning a cup better with two Stanley Cup winning goalies on their bench as opposed to one and a prospect who's barely seen any NHL ice. Yeah, that's fair. So, okay, you're saying that we don't have to, like, be totally concerned about Jake Allen in terms of St. Louis trading for a goalie and then making him, like, a guy that will play. He'll probably play. We just have to find out if he could stop a puck every now and then, maybe have one game with an over 900 save percentage. I'll I'll let you know when that happens as well, dear listeners. Okay, let's now go to Tampa Bay. Another goalie situation. Also, I'm embarrassed that I just said dear listeners. It's so corny. I wish I didn't say that. But it's probably going to be too hard to edit. So it's going to stay in there. Okay, Tampa Bay. Andre Vasilevsky has started three of the last four games. He has been above a 917 save percentage in all of his last five appearances. And if you recall, just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how poorly Vasilevsky had done while Bishop was out with an injury. And we thought maybe now Bishop had a chance to come back and like claim his spot as the number one goalie. This definitely hasn't happened though. Bishop has been pretty bad. Like three games ago when he last started, he let in five goals before getting pulled in the third period. And, you know, Vasilevsky now is playing well. Like I said, he started three of the last four games. Is Vasilevsky the starter now on Tampa Bay? Should Bishop owners, like, consider dropping him at this point? I suggested to someone on our Facebook group just today to drop Ben Bishop in a pretty shallow league. I think it was for Justin Falk or something like that. Anyway, obviously it depends on your goalie situation. But if Bishop is the backup, that doesn't make him look too good. Like, maybe I'd want someone like Steve Mason or Jake Allen over Ben Bishop. 
Maybe you would. Just a couple of weeks ago, we were saying Ben Bishop has a really great opportunity. He's coming in with a really poor Vasilevsky needing to ride pine for a while without a doubt. And then Bishop has gone ahead and blown that opportunity. So maybe you would prefer Steve Mason or Jake Allen because at least you know they're going to get starts. Aside from that, I don't know what else I can say. It's just been such a topsy-turvy goalie situation there all season long. One guy that I'd like to turn the spotlight on in another way, Nikita Kucherov, 44 points in 43 games, more than a point per game pace, three shots per game, doesn't get a lot of attention for what he does, but his owners know that he is a really great fantasy asset who is often undervalued at the start of the year. So keep this in mind when you're drafting next year and he's still available somehow after like the first two, maybe even three rounds. Nikita Kucherov is good. Okay, well, he's not going to be available after the first two, three rounds. Would you grab him in like the first round? He's ranking in like the top 10 of scores right now. Yeah, I'd grab him like first two rounds for sure. I feel like he's still lumped in with Tyler Johnson and Andre Palat who have both been disappointments. So nobody thinks that Kucherov can be doing so well. Of course, those people aren't listening to this podcast. So maybe you can draft against them. Okay, next TT, we got to go to Tarana. You know what? There's a three-way tie right now for the scoring leader on Toronto. Marner, Matthews, and JVR all have 39 points in 47 games. Kirsten O'Brien, who do you think is going to win that scoring race for the Maple Leafs? And by the way, just to tell you, some other people on the Leafs doing well, like Kadri has 35 points, Nylander 31, Bozak 30, so a lot of value over in Toronto. But it's looking like it's going to be Marner, Matthews, or James Van Riemsdyk leading the team in points. Who do you think it's going to be? So at the outset of the season, I suggested half tongue-in-cheek that Mitch Marner was going to be the highest-scoring Leafs rookie. I'm moving away from that. I see some regression coming for Bozak, Marner, and JVR as well. So I'm going to go with Matthews as the highest-scoring Leafs forward by the end of the season. That's fair. Yeah, he's so good. Man, I wish I would have drafted him earlier in leagues where he was available last year. Oh, well. All right. And also, by the way, with the Leafs, watch out for Nikita Zaitsev. He's actually seeing more power play time than Jake Gardner lately. It seemed like Gardner was the main power play guy, and Zaitsev was maybe a number two, especially with Morgan Riley out. But Zaitsev actually has three assists in his last three games, 20 points overall in 47 games, which isn't so, so great, but six in his last 13, which is good for a defenseman. More points than Jake Gardner in that span. I'd be curious to know who you like better between Zaitsev and Gardner moving forward. Gardner has more points on the year by a little bit. He has 23 points compared to Zaitsev's 20, but only five in his last 13. And of course, then there's Morgan Riley, who's going to be back from his injury soon after the All-Star break. So maybe just a quick take on the Toronto defense situation right now. I'm going to go with Gardner just because he's handled the majority of the power play duties for the Leafs to date. And I don't know that there's any reason to change that now. Riley's had a shot. Zaitsev has had a shot. And now he's getting another one. But Gardner has been the steady guy over the season. And I didn't see him do anything wrong to lose that spot permanently. Of course, they have cycled it a bunch through the year. So it doesn't necessarily mean that Gardner will continue being there. But for now, he's still the one who has spent the most time. And until I see a really long run from anyone else, well, actually, it'll probably be too late by then. So if you want to jump ahead, you can. Uh, maybe Semi Vatnin is a good guy that you can drop for Nikita Zaitsev if you own Vatnin and you're looking to upgrade. There's some upside in that switch if you can make it. Hmm, that would be a, a tough move for me to do as a Vatnin owner. Like if I drafted him and I feel like Zaitsev is someone I've seen in free agency in my leagues. But, you know, like Vatnin's just been so bad and Zaitsev is, is doing well lately and it seems like he's getting deployed pretty well. So yeah, I think I would maybe want the Toronto defenseman over Vatnin right now. But I don't know. I'm glad I'm not in that situation where I have to make that choice. I'll say I am a Vatnin owner and I don't think I would do it. I would need to know that Zaitsev is for real. And by that time again, he would probably be grabbed. So I wouldn't have that option. But if you're a very frustrated and trigger happy Vatnin owner, maybe this is something you can try out. 
yeah, something to watch. Anyways, obviously, if Zaitsev stays on that top power play for a little longer, then he becomes more and more valuable. Okay, let's go to Vancouver now. The Sedins, Brian, have not been great. Henrik has 32 points in 50 games on the year. Daniel has 27. So that's 52 and 44 point paces for Henrik and Daniel Sedin. Well below their like 70 and 65 point paces last year. Is there like any reason to expect them to improve in the second half? Or maybe they've now like they've aged, obviously. Maybe now they're just bubble fantasy options in most leagues. Like Henrik Sedin has actually, even though he has more points than Daniel, he's the one who's been dropped in a lot of leagues I've seen, I guess just because he doesn't get you the shots. At least Daniel's giving you, he has over 100 shots so far on the year. But just both of them, really disappointing. I wonder if this is the end for the Sedins, though I do remember that we were wondering the same thing a couple of years ago when they had an off year, and then they proceeded to do really well last year. So I'm just curious, is it the end for the Sedins, or do you think they could still bounce back and have a really strong second half? And by the way, while we're on Vancouver, I have to say, I think they're a really good team, and they're in a playoff spot right now, and good for them. I love the Canucks. Go Canucks! That's for someone on Twitter who's been not happy with our coverage of the team so far this year. Do you truly think they're a really good team? Well, how about this? I want to balance out everything I've said before. So I'm going to say they're a really good team so that on average, what I've said about them is the truth. Okay, no, I think they're just okay. And I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Sorry. (laughs) Okay. I think it's better to be honest than try to please everybody. Uh, But Vancouver, a lot of people don't realize that they are just one point out of a playoff spot Unfortunately for them, so are L.A. and Dallas is just three points out and Winnipeg is just three points out. So uh, they've got a bit of a bigger hill to climb than it might appear. Can the Sedins help them do it? I would love to think so. But both have been in steady decline in a reasonable way. I don't think that they've just been off their games in the first half. I think this is just the reality. Maybe Daniel could be doing a little bit better. But uh, yeah, it's not a terribly new thing for them to be struggling. Henrik is in his eighth straight year of incremental decline and he's actually higher this year than Daniel in points per 60 for the first time since 2013-14 so I can only imagine that that continues like not like they're going to drop even further for the rest of the year but that there's not a corner that they're about to turn to get better yeah we might be at a point soon where we start seeing Sedin's dropped in fantasy when's the last time this has happened but I guess it has to happen eventually what are they 38 years old now almost 36 and a half Almost 36 and a half. Okay, they're still babies. Okay, so there's still hope. All right, now we're on to the W's, the final two teams in the NHL that we haven't covered. Let's start in Washington. John Carlson's still injured. Very frustrating as a Carlson owner. Hopefully he'll be back soon. No one even knows. He's like skating with the team. He's been skating with the team forever, but hasn't been getting into games. But hey, his injury has been great for Matt Niskanen and Dmitry Orlov. Niskanen, eight points in his last seven games. Orlov with six points in his last seven games. So Niskanen, yeah, we've talked about him before. Obviously you want him... Well, Carlson is out and even otherwise, like he's doing great. Washington's scoring a lot of goals. Niskins is on that top power play. But I want to talk about Orlov. He's up to 25 points in 49 games this season. That's a 42-point pace. I was surprised about Jeff Petrie on that same pace. And yeah, Orlov, like just as good. Maybe not as many hits and blocks. But I mean, this includes actually six power play points, even though he's on the second unit. So Orlov, I don't even know if John Carlson being injured is a factor in him having this nice run lately because he's sort of in the same deployment as before, maybe getting a bit more time. But I wonder, like, do you think he could keep this up? Like, could he be a 42-point defenseman moving forward? Last year, he got 29 points. Which one is the real Dmitry Orlov? Okay, here I'm going to go somewhere in the middle, perhaps. But there is a reason for it. Uh, He's never seen this much power play time before. He's already up to almost 70 minutes. 
spent on the ice with the man advantage. That's already 30 minutes more than he saw in 82 games last year. And that's essentially the difference between last year's pace and this year's. Now, the second unit in Washington has never been a terribly fruitful place to play in Washington, but maybe it's what gets Orlov closer to 35 points compared to 30 that he had before. And he's also playing with John Carlson at even strength, sometimes Niskanen as well. Compare that to his most common defensive partners last year, Taylor Chorney and Nate Schmidt. And there's more reason to hope that he can get a couple more points on the board than he has previously. I wish he was a little more worthwhile in peripherals is where I'm still wanting. If he is going to hover around fantasy relevance, it would be nice to have a couple shots or a couple hits or a couple blocks that he could get for you even when he's not producing those points because they might be few and far between for stretches during the season. But in a really deep league, he could be somebody who does a little bit for your team, more than he could have done last year. Okay, and with that, Brian, we're on our final team. We've gone around the league. We've gone from A to W, and we're going to finally end up with our final fantasy hockey take in Winnipeg. Okay, actually, I've got a few here, though. Since we're ending the show, let's end it with a bang. Patrick Laine back from his concussion, which is great for his owners, great for the Jets. He had an assist with three shots on goal versus San Jose on Tuesday, and then a goal and assist and six shots versus Chicago on Thursday. So he's back as if nothing wrong at all has happened to him. He's up to 40 points in 44 games on the season, which is a 41 goal and 75 point pace. I feel like exceeding even the expectations that a lot of people had for him. And he came in with a lot of hype just like a huge fantasy asset with those goals and those shots and like all these points. He's so good. Is he going to be drafted as a first rounder next year? I'm curious. Like we talked about Kucherov. I wonder if line a is like a better asset than Kucherov even at this point in fantasy. Like, I just wonder like the sky's literally, like, is he better than Giroux? Is he better than Tarasenko? Maybe better than Giroux. Like I'm guess we're talking about drafting next year in a keeper format. So maybe better than Giroux. I wouldn't say better than Tarasenko. I would say if you're going to take him ahead of an established point-per-game star, you've got to make sure that that star is far enough ahead on their aging curve, like Claude Giroux's 29, will turn 30 in almost exactly one year's time. And so you want to take Liney ahead of somebody who's far enough ahead on their aging curve that will compensate for Liney being just at the start of his own. There's also the dreaded sophomore slump to worry about, but maybe this is something that someone as talented as Liney can fight through. He's better than a lot of guys. I don't know that I'm ready to take him above a point-per-game player who's under, say, 26 or 27 years old. Okay, that's fair. Not all leagues are keeper leagues, though. Like, the Kukupful is a one-year league. I wonder how high he'll get drafted in Kukupful leagues next year. It'll be a fun thing to talk about over the summer. A lot of, you know, established stars. Like, we just talked about Austin Matthews before. That'll be a tough choice between the two of them. I feel like for fantasy, at least, you got to go line with all these goals and shots. Though, actually, Matthews takes a ton of shots, too. Ah, so many new people. People get bumped out of the top. We're going to be seeing a lot of people drafted in the second round that we haven't seen drafted in the second round in a while, like a Giroux and, you know, maybe like even Kucherov, like you said, might not be able to make the cut. And by the way, of course, Line has been producing. He's not the only one on Winnipeg. He's been playing on a line with Little and Ehlers. Brian Little, he's on fire himself. Nine points in his last five games. He's up to 26 points in 29 games on the season, which is a 74-point pace. Something even Brian Little has never done. He's been a really solid guy in fantasy for many years now, but he's definitely having his best year so far. Kind of a small sample size, though, because he missed all those games with injury. Like, I'd be curious to know, how is he doing so well? Is he going to keep this up and be like an over 70-point guy? Or do you think Little's going to sort of fall back to being a solid 60 to 65-point guy, which is really good, but you know, not this amazing pace. Obviously, it helps to be playing with Lion and Ehlers who are having such amazing seasons. I'll go 60 points the rest of the way. I think that's what you can hope for. Six goals on his last 10 shots for Brian Little. Two of them did come on the power play, but still, that's 
far too successful a conversion rate for him. It's great for him and everyone who's stuck with him through injury, though. Maybe a sell-high candidate if you've got him and his schedule might hurt you during a playoff matchup. Just going to put that one out there. That's fair. And so, okay, so I said that it's been the Line A, Little, and Ehlers line in the last couple of games. The other line has been Wheeler, Shifley, and Cop. Andrew Cop, I believe, is his name. He's got four goals and one assist in his last five games. I guess, obviously, he's benefiting from Drew Stafford being injured and an opening in that top six. Oh, yeah, Matthew Perot was also injured. So that's really the opening. Those two guys. Cop taking advantage. I feel like we sort of joked last week that, like, obviously, don't add him. He's not going to do well, even on a good line. But I think when you play with Wheeler and Shifley, clearly good things can happen, and we're seeing it now. Who is Cop? Is he worth adding? Is he like the same as Stafford and Perot before they got injured? Like we were saying they were guys that maybe you could consider adding while they're on this good line. Do you think it's the same for Andrew Cop? Let me go and search and confirm that his name is actually Andrew. It is Andrew Cop. Okay, few. He was drafted in the fourth round, 104th overall back in 2013, came up through the U.S. National Team Development Program, and then went to college at the University of Michigan, did well there has not really been in a role like this before where he's been expected to score at a professional level. He didn't get any extended time in the AHL. He jumped right to the NHL, playing 77 games in his first full pro season, had just 13 points in those 77 games, then had a little trip to the AHL this year, five points in eight games, and now is up to 12 points in 39 games with the help of these recent games with some incredible line mates. So a new role for him. And yeah, we didn't mention him last week, mostly in jest, because we were waiting to see who was really going to fill in in the top six with an open spot available. But I guess it's him and good for him. He scored four goals on his last seven shots, which is to say not sustainable. Uh, Maybe he can pick up some assists along the way, but he's certainly not going to keep scoring goals at this rate. That's fair. But obviously Wheeler and Shifley Hard to find better line mates for a guy, whoever it is, someone's going to be putting up points when playing with those guys. I guess I brought up Jacob Truba before when we were talking about Pavel Buchnevich and how I was so happy to have added him. So I'll, I'll mention him here as well since we're actually on Winnipeg. Truba has a goal and five assists in his last five games. 19 shots in that span. So that's 19 shots in five games, Brian. That is serious number of shots, especially for a defenseman. Also 13 blocks and 11 hits over those last five games. Like Jacob Truba has been a stud, should be owned in all leagues. I think, especially ones that count the peripherals like blocks and hits and shots. Yeah, for as long as he's doing what he's doing, you should go for it. Love Jacob Truba. Okay, last thing for the whole show. We're on Winnipeg. We got to mention the goaltending. Pavlik with another couple below average games. We talked about him last week that he played a couple of games and they were okay. But, you know, he's been even less than okay. He's down now to an 894 save percentage in the four games he's played right now. Then finally, Connor Hellebuck got another chance. He played his first game after missing six versus Chicago on Thursday. And he got them the win, a 5-3 win, which doesn't sound that good. Three goals against, very Pavlik-esque. But it was actually 38 saves and a 927 save percentage. So Winnipeg took a lot of shots against, and I guess Hellebuck kept them in the game and got a big win against Stanley Cup favorite Chicago Blackhawks, apparently, according to your odds from before. Who do you think gets the net after the break? Any like insight into uh, if Hellebuck should be re-added because of this one good game, if people dropped him when they were nervous that Pavlik had been called up? Pavlik certainly did not take his opportunity to impress himself very well upon anyone in Winnipeg. So I imagine it just goes back to whoever can take the net and Hellebuck had a great showing to try and take it back. I think he should be the guy going forward. We'll see if he can keep playing at least league average to be able to hold on to his spot as number one or at worst 1A. Yeah, I could definitely see them switching back and forth. Like they'll play Hellebuck while he's doing well, but I could also see him struggling, especially if Winnipeg's going to be letting in all of these shots. Brian, we did it. We went through every single team. 
this is a lot of fun. And it didn't even take that long. Fantastic. So maybe we should make this a tradition. Maybe every season in the all-star break, we could do our league roundup. I enjoyed it. By the way, should I do this thing? I wrote it down in the doc when he mentioned it. Should I name all the teams in order? Is that good content for a podcast? Do it backwards. Okay. And Brian, you, you'll trust me. I'm not looking. I'm going to close my eyes for the people watching on the video so you'll know that I'm not just like looking at a list or anything. Okay, here we go. I'm not going to do it backwards, by the way. I can't do that. Oh, come on. I, I, well, I could. It'll be slower. It won't be as interesting. Okay. I'm going to do this really fast so you'll be impressed. I promise. Anaheim, Arizona, Boston, Buffalo, Calgary, Carolina, Chicago, Colorado, Columbus, Dallas, Detroit, Edmonton, Florida, Los Angeles, Minnesota, Montreal, Nashville, New Jersey, New York Islanders, New York Rangers, Ottawa, Philly, Pittsburgh, San Jose, St. Louis, Tampa Bay, Toronto, Vancouver, Washington, Winnipeg. I think that was all 30. You missed Las Vegas. Oh, come on. (laughs) I'll have to fit them in. So that's going to be after LA. I'll have to keep that in mind. Okay, next year, maybe I can do them backwards also. That's what Jade said. No, it'll be before LA. Los Angeles is with an O. Las Vegas is with an A. Oh, yeah. Las Vegas. Damn. Los Angeles. I got a lot of work to do before (laughs) next year to figure this all out. (laughs) Okay, let's end the show. That was so fun. Thanks to everyone who stuck with us here in the chat room. This has been great. Really funny comments talking about what all the players look like. You guys are ridiculous. Uh, Thank you for listening, of course. If you enjoyed the show, please do us this favor of giving us a five-star review on iTunes. I know, you know, we say it every week. It probably just is like rote and boring and you just skip. You're probably like fast-forwarding at this point. But if you're not, it really does help the show and we're trying to stay relevant with all these like interesting fantasy hockey podcasts out there. We want to stay number one and that would really help us out. Also, if you really want to support the podcast, consider becoming a patron. We just had a really fun patron cast last week, which was a bonus episode just for the patrons. We answered a ton of questions, went like two hours long. You could have access to that episode. If you become a patron now, you have access to all the previous patron casts. So it's a lot of fun. Check it out. KeepingCarlson.com slash patron for all the information there. But with that, let's cue the outro music to end this full league extravaganza take summary Brian will probably workshop that name before you name the episode. Did I say to cue the music? If not, cue it now. Let's read those credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Corsica, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job as always, Brian. And we'll be back at all of you with a regular episode next week, Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern time. You can join us live, keepingcarlson.com slash live. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. <laughs>